welcome to the Monkeys Fighting Robots podcast with Matthew Sardo. Take your sticky paws off me, you damn dirty ass. <laughs> Holy sh! They're actually monkeys fighting robots! You can follow us on Twitter at monkeys underscore robots and on Instagram at monkeys fighting robots. Make sure to download and review our podcast from iTunes and Stitcher. And now, here's your host, Matt. Welcome to the 77th episode of Monkeys Fighting Robots. Today is going to be an awesome show. EJ and I are talking about Game of Thrones, our Megacon recap, and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Out of the Shadows. I'm your host, Matthew Sardo. I'm also the co-founder of MonkeysFightingRobots.com. Joining me in the banter is my co-host, movie critic EJ Marino. If you have a question for the show, you can contact us three ways. Send us a tweet, comment on the podcast itself, or send me an email at matt at popaxiom.com. EJ, how you doing? I'm still feel like I'm recovering from Megacon. It's like this long jet lag from how ridiculous Megacon weekend was. But after Turtles and after like having a nice normal work day, I'm, I feel like I'm back to normal again. Yes, I want to talk about Megacon because we're recording on a Thursday and it's already been a week since we started going to Megacon, which is insane already. Yeah, it's crazy. I can't believe it's been a whole week since the journey started and how much ridiculousness happened, how much people, how many people we met. It, it was really cool, man. It's so cool. We will talk about that in our third segment, but we have to get to Game of Thrones. EJ, this episode... Should have been epic, but after the Hold the Door episode the week before, it came off really flat. Did you have the same feeling? Well, I've already kind of felt like each episode's already been like, okay, it's they're good episodes, but they haven't been great to me. So each episode's just been kind of good, and this one was another good one. I think their last like five, ten minutes of each episode is ridiculous. So it's it's I feel the same way because I've felt the same way the whole season so far. I really wish that Amelia Clark was more badass because she got on that Grant Dragon and she was yelling and screaming and inspiring everybody except for me. <laughs> well, you are also not a like Dothraki slave. She just freed. So you might not feel the same way. But no, uh, she, she's almost as badass as I want her to be. And she's getting there, and each episode, she's just a little bit more of that dragon mother that we need. But I thought it was really interesting. Her whole speech was just Carl Drago's speech from season one. Verbatim. verbatim. Oh, verbatim? It was the same exact speech? Yeah, he get, minus I think she took out some rape and pillage kind of things in the speech. But yeah, it's basically just his speech that he gave his people in season one. So it was kind of a cool callback, and I thought that was like a subtle badass thing to it. No, the writing has been hands down the best this season with the hold the door episode callbacks like this. You tie everything together. That's what Game of Thrones does really well. That's why HBO pays them the big bucks. But going back to Amelia Clark, just imagine if Darnarius Targaryen was Gael Gadot. How insane that would have been. Well, that's what I'm hoping Wonder Woman's going to be. Is this like badass, like Amazon? I have swords and fire, and I'm going to kill everyone. But she, 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 she's almost there. But we talked about it a couple podcasts ago. She's so tiny, and she's not the most imposing figure. And she's kind of strikingly beautiful with the blonde hair. So I don't think anyone can really take her seriously as this like fucking threat. <laughs> like she's she's not that that crazy. No, she's not. And then you talk about the blonde hair and I know it's fake and she's got the big brown eyebrows and all this other stuff. And it, it just 
it just doesn't work. The same thing with Cersei is like, I can see their roots and all it takes me out of the character of who they are. And I guess that means if I'm out of the character because kind of looks, it means that their acting isn't as good as it should be. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, you should be so enveloped in it. So you get pointed, you know, you get tuck, stuck up by like little things here and there, but the, for the most part, I think they're okay. Um, I, I think Cersei has a little bit more presence to her. And I think she, especially what she looked like a couple, you know, a couple seasons ago with a longer hair. I thought she was such an imposing looking figure. So now, you know, she, she looks a little bit more meek this season. The character that I really enjoy the story arc that's going on right now. And I can't wait till the battle. And I, I hope she survives is Arya Stark. I think Maisie Williams is an amazing actress and watching her grow up from where Game of Thrones started to where it is now and have her be this badass assassin. I'm behind her 100 percent. I like that she's so much of a badass assassin. She doesn't even need assassin school. She went there and was just like, "Mm, no, I don't need this. I'm pretty cool. I just need I want my cool little sword back. And I loved how that other girl just hates her so much and they're going to duke it out either next episode or the infamous would that be eight so that that's going to come to a head at some point in time yeah i think they're they're kind of their rivalry is what i was just saying where Arya's so good at it she doesn't need anyone's help and i think the other one notices that and has a little petty feeling towards her yeah Arya's had a chip on her shoulder since episode one and she's just continued that whole entire arc of being just don't fuck with me i will kick your ass now I have the skills to kick your ass, and now I'm getting big enough to kick your ass. So there's going to be a reckoning that's going to come with her, and hopefully they just don't kill her right off, like Game of Thrones would. Yeah, Game of Thrones is obviously known for killing off someone as soon as they become just the most badass that they should. And she, I think she's going to survive it. I have fingers crossed that we get to see her have a little bit of a reign of terror. And like I think that that's going to be really fun to see. So on one hand, you have Arya Stark telling everybody to F off. And then on the other hand, you have Samwell just sitting in there taking the abuse from his dad. And he is the most badass character in the Game of Thrones universe because he's the one who's killed White Walkers. Yeah, and I, I think that's what I, was so powerful about that scene is no matter what cool stuff he's done at the Night Watch, he still has to go home and deal with it. And I think that's what Game of Thrones has always obviously done really cool is telling real life stories in a fantasy setting and they got to show that family sucks, and they always do. But that was a different family arc than we haven't really seen before. And I think it was really cool what he did. You know, he took that awesome sword and was like, "Let's go." He told that girl he loved him, and I think his character has such a cool arc from when we've met him to where he is now. I love that character. That whole story arc with the parents, and then saying goodbye, and then coming back and grabbing the sword. I don't think we'll ever see him like wield a sword and kick somebody's ass. I think he'll always fumble into victory, which is fine. But I still wish his dad came in and tried to take him down. And Sam's like, smack. And I'm out, you know, like gave his dad the smack and then the send off of, of, you know, I'm never coming back because I don't need you because I've established who I am and I'm better than you think I am. I, I still, the problem with Game of Thrones is, the good people in the world of Game of Thrones always get treated like shit and they don't hardly ever get their redemption moment. And I was hoping that Sam was going to be able to bitch slap his dad and it didn't happen. Yet. Yeah, because I don't. Yeah, yet it's kind of what I was going to say is we don't really get to see it. And sometimes we get to see it a little too late 
and then they end up kind of dying right after they get to do their big redemption. You know, this is me moment. But he's another one that I hope that we can get past just an epic moment so we can see him kind of own his badassness. Um, so, yeah, he, he's someone I'm looking forward to see grow after this this big change for him. In the Monkeys Fighting Robots Facebook group, we were kind of talking about the review that we had posted on the website that Curtis posted. And there was a the debate about the High Sparrow and what's going on. I could really give two shits about the Iron Iron Throne and what's going on with the Lannisters and the High Sparrow. Because I feel like that's just wasting my time to where we get to the White Walker dragon fight. And there doesn't even really have to be humans left. It could just be dragons and White Walkers fighting, and I'd be perfectly fine. But the High Sparrow drama, it just it's it's so boring. If I had a military, they would be gone. If in my mind, in my head, I look at them like terrorists trying to take over the city that I'm already established that I've taken over. So if you're trying to take over my city, I'm gonna take you out, and they're not taking them out. Like it's, this should have been done so long ago. Yeah, I, I don't really agree that they're a waste because I think we do need to take breaks from all of the craziness that happens outside of the King's Landing drama. But but they are kind of boring. And as a fan of like religious drama and political drama, I, I like moments of it. But most of all, they're kind of boring. And I don't really don't know what's going on. I thought Marjorie, who's one of my favorite characters, I actually Natalie Dormer is one of my favorite actresses out there. Do we say actor for everybody now, or is it actresses, actors, and actresses? They're actresses and actresses. We don't need to be that piece. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was I was checking that out a few days ago. I was like, should I be calling this person an actress or an actor? And then I saw a PR. It was like actor or this, and I was like, okay. But how am I going to distinguish? But Natalie Dormer, whether she's an actor or an actress, I really like her on this show. I like her char- character Marjorie, and I, I, I that was where they took me for a loop because I thought that she was spinning the high sparrow speech and was going to be like as soon as she got free she was going to turn on him but then she convinced the king to go with the high sparrow so that's the only like weird like twist of writing that i'm not sure what's going on and and i hope it kind of and that's that's the only intrigue i got with that going on right now i think that she's doing a whole like backdoor deal with cersei and i think some like really shady stuff's gonna happen and i think she's hopefully because i hate the king hopefully she's using him as a pawn and he's only gonna be doing the alliance to get rid of him and the high sparrow later on we'll see because he needs to go the high sparrow needs to go her and cersei need to just realize they're the two most powerful people in this whole group of people just just own it and then rule it as two awesome women because the show obviously shows us that women are sometimes the coolest on the show we're, we're in the second half of the season right now. Let's close this segment and kind of let's make predictions of who we think is going to pass away by the end of the season. You got Jamie Lannister, you got Cersei, you got Darnarius, she's not going to go. You got Marjorie, you got the High Sparrow, Arya, Samuel, Bran Stark, trying to, Jon Snow's already died. Who do you think is going to die by the end of the season? Um, Jamie on the Lannister side. I think Jamie's kind of an expendable character. He's he's always been, kind of been in the background for as awesome as the actor is and as the character is. I don't really no one ever really cares about Jamie. So I think he's someone who can go. Um I think we're gonna get the death of Ramsey. I think he's going to be dead. Maybe that's just me wishful thinking it, but I think he's gonna be gone. And I think we might get a stark death. I don't know who um There's not many left. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe something's going to happen with Bran and he's going to get someone, because Bran's been doing a lot of crazy stuff kind of in the back too. So yeah, I, I, I think there's going to be multiple deaths. I don't, I think this season finale is going to be kind of epic. Is Jamie Lannister, is he, he's heading up north. Is he teaming up with Ramsay or is he teaming up with another fraction? I think he's on his own. I don't know. Yeah. Because they were talking, it was the Red Wedding group mm-hmm. that that he was going up to help take a castle back. And I thought he was taking the castle from either Ramsay or the Ironborn. I couldn't tell who who lost what in that little shuffle there of my Sunday night hangover from Megacon. But I, I'm, I'm definitely, I think, I think Jamie... Jamie has the highest probability of kicking the kicking the bucket uh, the next couple episodes, and and we'll see. Especially after he started having incest make out with his sister again, Jamie kind of cursed himself to go. Yeah, I think he's going to be our number one vote to die. Why do people keep looking for Jamie Lannister's redemption? Like you just yourself, you were like, oh, he made out with his sister again, so he's back to being gross, Jamie. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess he's always just being gross, Jamie, but. I don't know. I, I'm hit or miss with their incestuous relationship. I'm like, oh, whatever. They kind of like each other. But then I'm like, no, you guys are stupid and weird. There's way more stuff to do than like make out with your sister. <laughs> no, because that's what happened when he got his hand cut off. Jamie, everybody thought, oh, Jamie got his hand cut off. He's going to learn something, blah, blah. And then he raped his sister on top of his dead child. And everybody's like, oh, this is the worst episode, worst thing ever to happen to Game of Thrones. I just never understood the redemption of Jamie Lannister. I guess he's attractive and he's good looking. So they're like, oh, we, he can't be really bad. He's got to have, it's the, it's the bad boy that all the women want, but they're trying to justify that. Like, oh, he's not that bad. And, and then he rapes his sister on top of their dead child. And, and, and people are still looking for his redemption. Yeah, I'm just like, oh, well, you know, he's he's went through a lot, okay? <laughs> yeah, maybe he, he, he needs to just die so everyone's odd sexual confusion about him could just go away. If you have a question or a comment or any rant you want to take on Game of Thrones, contact us through social media, whether it's Facebook or Twitter. You can contact Monkeys Fighting Robots at Monkeys underscore Robots. You can contact me at Matthew... Sardo and EJ, what's your Twitter handle? At EJ Christ, EJ K H R Y S T. And you can post. I really like it on SoundCloud where people click on the segment area and then they post a comment and then it shows like your image of your profile from SoundCloud. So that's my preferred method of commenting because I really like the visualization of it and it looks good on our podcast when you see comments and they're like, oh, what happened in this section? You kind of like click through the podcast. No, I agree. I, I think that's the best way to podcast. Please, I mean, uh, the best way to comment. So please uh, comment like that on the podcast. Pardon me, Matt, but the monkeys are out of bananas. What do you mean we have no more bananas? I would suggest you go to a break. Monkeys fighting robots has swag. And we were wearing it all weekend long at Megacon. And it held up pretty well. We have teamed up with the awesome website, redbubble.com. Look for the t-shirt link on our website, Their clothing is super amazing quality, but you can get more than just t-shirts. We have stickers, throw pillows, phone cases, bags, and kid clothes. Go to redbubble.com and search for Monkeys Fighting Robots. And if you would like to sponsor the Monkeys Fighting Robots podcast, 
Contact Matthew Sardo at Matt at Popaxium. Welcome back to the Monkeys Fighting Robots podcast. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Out of the Shadows comes out this Friday. It's directed by Dave Green, and this is the sequel to Michael Bay's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which kind of polarized the audience. I didn't think it was as bad as I already made it out to be. I was excited for the sequel because it's turtles and there's only a few things you have to do. You have to eat pizza, you have to play with nunchucks, and you have to say cowabunga. And the film kind of did it, but it still left me a little empty. I also really didn't like the screening. Even though I have a kid, there was tons of screaming kids there, and it just bothered me just sitting there. I couldn't get into the moment and absorb it. And just, ah. I liked it, and my compliment or my whole review about the movie is I liked it, and I expected it to be a wee bit better. So for it kind of letting me down and not being as ridiculous as it needed to be, that's kind of my biggest complaint. And I'm not a kid person. I don't have a kid. So, yes, being in a theater with a bunch of children, as I've seen a lot of rated R movies that we've screened, it's a whole different environment. So, But the movie is for them. And I think we're, we're kind of stuffy, grumpy old men sometimes about that kind of thing where – we wanted to enjoy our nostalgia, but it is for them. And it seemed like the kids loved it though, too. This is Nickelodeon's cash cow for the summer. They're going to finance everything that they want to do. And they're going to take big vacations because it's going to make lots of money because the kids were laughing. The kids were applauding. The kids had fun and it's made for the kids. It's not made for me. I'm 39 years old. If I'm looking for an epic Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles sequel, I'm I, I've missed it. I've, I've, I've had my time. I've missed it. And I shouldn't, Yes, I want a good quality film, but to go in there looking for, like, The Dark Knight, you're just not going to get it from Michael Bay. Even though it's not Michael Bay, it's Dave, it's Dave Green, but the film was produced by Michael Bay, uh, and, and Dave Green has, has done not much at all. He did Earth the Echo, Dial M for Murder, which is a short. I don't really see anything else on here besides that that he's done. Uh, so he doesn't have much to it. He just must be a... He must be in the circle of Michael Bay-isms. Yeah, you could definitely feel the Michael Bay influence. Um, but like I kind of said in my first statement, I didn't feel it enough. I wanted more explosions. I wanted more stupid slow-mo shots. It, it, it let me down on what I expected from a Michael Bay movie. And I know that's kind of a weird statement because most people bash them, but I know what those movies are. I turn my brain off and I can kind of enjoy it. And that movie, um, the new Ninja Turtles didn't let me enjoy it as much. Well, that was the thing is I like to take my, I like to turn my mind off and the kids blowing their nose next to me. It was what kind of wouldn't let me do it. <laughs> I don't want to bash this film because I feel like you can just keep going with this film and just continue to bash it. What I did like about it and like the, the things that worked really well in this film is I think they changed up how they designed the turtles where Donatello looked amazing. He was thinner. Uh, Leonardo had a different taller frame and Michelangelo is kind of shorter. And then uh, Raphael, he was like roid rage on top of roid rage and he still looked bulky and weird, but the three other turtles looked different and unique and the texture like even the texture like in their skin was completely different and you could see them breathe really well there was a lot of amazing cgi in this film yeah i kept waiting for it to hit bad cgi and i was like so being so cynical and i'm like oh this is gonna look like shit right now and then i'm like oh 
oh, that kind of looked good. And even, like, I agree, the turtles are re- redesigned slightly, but way better. I think they, they worked out whatever kinks they had from the original. And it's not just the turtles. It's the Krang look good. Bebop and Rocksteady looked really, really awesome. I think uh, they look just as cartoony, but still kind of practical that they needed to look. And I, I really appreciated like their character design as well. I completely agree with you because Bebop and Rocksteady, I thought they were cast really well. Seamus, who knew Seamus could be a goofball in act? I, I didn't know that could happen. Uh, I've seen a lot of critics online that before I even saw the movie, a lot of people are already praising Seamus for what he did. And he kind of carried, you know, I think the actor who uh, played uh, Bebop is awesome because he's from the Boondocks. So I like him a lot, but Seamus carried that little duo and he was pretty, pretty, like pretty funny for it. And he, 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 like you said, he's the perfect amount of goofball, but he was still intimidating and badass. Um, that heavy Irish accent. That was a little uh, that was a little crazy to deal with, but that was my only complaint about him there. You're, you, the other actor, uh, Gary Anthony Williams, he plays a drag queen on Boston Legal, and that was the first time I saw him, and he's an amazing actor. I knew that he could bring the comedy. I also know that he can bring amazing, serious potential. Not that I was ever going to see this in Turtles, but I knew that he was going to bring some good comedy and some good timing. And I, I like the two people that they cast for Rocksteady and Bebop. I thought they worked really well. Um, the Peter Donald Splinter, the, the gentleman that played Splinter, uh, Monk, he played the Monk in the TV show. Uh, his voice was distracting as far, or no, Tony. Tony Shalhoub. Shalhoub. The, in, on here they have uh, the Peter Donald apparently was the, the, the motion capture. The motion capture. Sorry, they, they didn't split this up here on IMDb very well. But Tony Shalhoub, he kind of takes me out of the moment when he's talking. And I I feel like Shredder didn't even have to be in this film. Or Splinter, Splinter. Splinter didn't have to be in the film. No, I didn't want Splinter in the film because every time they cut to him, he made me like scream a little bit because he's so terrifying looking. I think we got the turtles to look good. And he he does look like an overgrown rat, which is what he is. But just he just looks dirty. And I just don't I don't want to see him. So if they could have just cut him out completely. But he's such a core member of the team and he he didn't do enough to be in it. But he's supposed to be their Yoda. And we didn't get enough Yoda time from him. I really, really love the, the the teamwork with the brothers. I think the whole those four guys are really working well with each other. And I think, I guess, filming this and having to carry all the suits that they do, I think they've bonded together. And I think you can tell that with the characters when they weren't having to do forced petty fighting that like these movies seem to love. I loved their like their their banter with each other, and it seemed real. The the turtles in this that's for the best part of it. The one it, the best part of. The first film is when they did the beatbox in the elevator before they went up to the final fight. I don't think there was ever that great brotherly turtle moment. Maybe at Madison Square Garden where they're kind of bouncing around. It did take, I would not go see this movie in 3D because that first five minutes where they're jumping through the city, it was all blurry to me. Was it blurry to you? It, it it seemed hard to like catch on because things were like moving so fast and it was two quick cuts because I did actually like the 3D later on when it was more uh, some of those like classic like poking out at the screenshots and stuff like that. But yeah, the, the beginning was very, very distracting in 3D. There's Megan Fox. I thought she was harmless. Like she didn't add or detract from it. I didn't think I, I actually I think she was decent April O'Neil. 
Um, she, she I, I'm not a huge Megan Fox hater. I think people bash her just because she's Megan Fox, and I don't mind that. My only complaint is April O'Neil did one bit of reporting. At the end, she got the microphone and the camera, and she reported. I'm like, April, that's 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 your gimmick. Is your reporter? <laughs> I need to see more of it. Like, yay that she's like in the middle of the fighting, and she's like an investigative journalism, and she's like grabbing shit. And I'm like, okay, cool. But you're a reporter. I want to see that classic April O'Neil microphone reporting. And I got that once. So that was my only complaint with her characters. Just a little bit more classic April O'Neil. This is where you start to nitpick. Because I did like that Will Arnett was the cameraman. And they took him out of that character. If it was Will Arnett and Megan Fox running around in the van getting the story and sneaking into stuff and making it happen, I would have been fine with it. They could have they could have not had Casey Jones in it or Stephen Amell in this film. He was... He doesn't really do anything. No, he is uh, how I feel that they wasted having so many villains at one time and none of them got to get focus. Casey Jones got no focus at all. We got to see that one awesome hockey mask scene and then bye. Like he he kind of was wasted and I'm not the hugest Stephen Amell fan. So that didn't help either. And this was the first time I really noticed how much I don't like him. And usually I give him a pass, but not after this one. And he had that he had a decent mask. It, but as a person who plays hockey, that mask doesn't exist that he uses. It's something made up. So I'm like, okay, bullshit on that. And then he never used it ever again. Mm-hmm. But, not even like the really cool, the cool hockey stick. He didn't really get to do any of like his whole gimmick. And they they did change the characters enough to try to give you something different. But give me one good Casey Jones example, and then we could have done this with him in a later movie where we changed him up and we didn't need the mask, but. This is the first time we got to see Casey Jones. Give me a little bit more hockey mask. Because the Casey Jones in the first Turtles films, the live action films, he's phenomenal. Like he's got the bag. He makes the jokes about, you know, putting or slap shots or whatever. And like he just pummels some guy with his bag of tricks of different sticks and batting and stuff. And, and whatever Casey Jones embodied, that was that was definitely there. So to then the Michael Bay version, and I apologize, I'm just putting Michael Bay on top of this, and I know that he didn't actually do anything for this. He just gave money for it. But the Michael Bay version of Casey Jones was just a dude that just had a name called Casey Jones. Yeah, they, they lost what Casey Jones is, and this is like... This isn't even nitpicking, I feel like, because this is just common shit you could have done with a Casey Jones character. This isn't that hard. Throw him in a hockey mask... For at least 50% of his screen time, they gave me like 15%, and that's not what I need from that character. The problem with big budget films is and they think that you're not going to know who the character is, so they don't... I bet you Stephen Amell's like, I don't want to wear a mask for 100% of the time, and you should have been like, listen, Stephen, we're going to give you this pile of money. Do you want the pile of money? Yes. Okay, put the mask on. That's all you have to do. But sometimes actors and actresses, they are like, oh, I don't want to be in makeup or a mask the whole time, because he didn't... I thought he should have just, the way the movie movie plays out, like he should have gotten fired and then started becoming a vigilante because then, you know, it would have worked out better and then he would have just had it in his car. He could, like, whether they took his weapon away and then, like, they gave him some sort of origin where he had to use shit that wasn't a, a gun to where he could fight crime or whatever. You could, if I can rewrite it, I feel like people that get paid to write should be able to have, like, made this work. 
Oh, I completely agree that like that's a full time job for these people. And it's not that hard to just throw in something minor. Like half the time, the executive producer that's going to cut it isn't even going to notice if you would have thrown a little bit more hockey mask in there. And then we'll we'll continue down the coughing kid line and, and the kids that were talking and all sorts of stuff. But things that take me out of the scene is that Casey Jones gets booted from wherever he gets booted from. And then he hops in his brand new charger and peels out in the police station. And I was like, stop it with the product placement. Just give me a dented charger or something old. Like Casey Jones is a dude who makes 15 bucks an hour. He doesn't have a $50,000 car because he can't afford it. He lives with his mom. Like it's, these are all things that just, when it, once the kid starts coughing in the background, all these start things start clicking in with like, this is an issue. This is an issue. This is an issue. I go on major, like what is out of place in this film? But the things that weren't out of place for me were the turtles and the CGI. Like, I thought this, all of that stuff, Krang, I thought Krang looked amazing. When he talks to Shredder for the first time and he's sarcastic, I was like, whoa, I wasn't expecting that. I love that whole scene. And then it just, it becomes an episode of the 90s, 80s, 90s cartoon. Uh, 100% agree. It It needed to go a little bit more, but what was there was really really good so the very few good things are very high praises but for once i think the bad kind of outweighed at this time but it's not as bad as transformers 2 no no this is um because i always compared that first ninja turtles to the first transformers where it's a surprisingly better movie than you're gonna give it credit for and this one doesn't drop down as low as the transformers franchise but it it's not it's not where it needed to be to hit every market that it was trying to hit. It could have been very simple if it was just Shredder and Rocksteady and Bebop and the Turtles trying to take them out. Like, it didn't have to be what it was. Like, it could have just been simple. Like, the brothers could have got along. There shouldn't have been that four storyline. And then, you know, Shredder and then the Rhino and the Warthog, they duke it out and they battle and... Even if they wanted to go with the brothers arguing and then they come together teamwork-wise, Mighty Duck style, and beat the guys. Like, I'm even fine with that. But they just... Shredder gets put... Uh, once he got put in the, the freezer, I just, what, what are you doing? Yeah, they... Um, for someone was at, who was, was confident that they were going to get another one because this movie does have a lot of, like, ha-ha, see you again kind of lines, they, they kind of, like, blew their load kind of quick. They were just like, here's everything that we have. There it is. And I would have loved to see, like you said, the Shredder, Rocksteady, Bebop, and Krang as like a, like a twist at the end that we see his like face pop up or something. And then we know what we're going to get the next movie. And they kind of were just like, nope, we're going to give you everything one time right now. Here we go. And this is where I blame Marvel on this stuff. Now, because everybody's, everybody has to copycat because they want to make money and the world building and all this other stuff. You get to a point where you're not telling a complete story anymore. And this is one of those films where... It kind of tells a complete story, but doesn't tell a complete story. It, it's a lot of try, it's a lot of story that they try to fit into a smaller scale, and it, this this literally could have used two movies and been a far better film. But they try to throw a lot into one because they have to keep up with the Joneses. Like I thought that they were going to travel to all the different areas and have a big battle in each area, and that was going to, and then they would screw up somehow, and then Shredder would get what he needed to go to dimension X and then Krang would show up and all that, but it never actually played out that way. It was always like, Oh, Rocksteady and Bebop, they already have it. 
And then, you know, they missed it the other way and they missed it there. And it, like you said, you wanted more of the action and yet they kept just skirting around where the action could be and, and it didn't happen. Ah, this is the movie to give me stupid action. I'm not going to fault you if you give me 30 minutes action scene of CGI because I know what this is movie is. I, I'm walking into it expecting that. Do it. Give it to me and I'm, I'll accept it. The film gave me a lot. Like you said, it doesn't give me enough. But I am going to be a sucker and go see Turtles 3. I'm just, I just have to. Yeah, there, there's something about those four turtles that you will see whatever they threw, throw at you. And hey, it's not that bad. And I'll, I'll keep buying until they get past. It's how I feel with the Resident Evil franchise. Until you make a movie that offends me with how bad you are, I'm going to keep watching you guys. Megacon was last week, Thursday through Sunday, four solid days. I lost my voice Sunday night. I sat on my couch and watched Game of Thrones and just passed out. I finally feel like I'm recovered from Megacon, and it's a week later from when it started. I cannot believe how many people we talked to, how many cosplayers we saw, all the craziness that happened in between when the show ended and then the show started during the night, the meals, the walking around, the temperature, all the craziness. And EJ, this was your first Megacon? This is my first con. Like, I went to a Spooky Empire, which is like a, like a horror film convention, but it, it was a far smaller scale. Than, this is, I think, the most amount of people I've seen at one time in my entire life. Like, this was insanity, and it, it was such a cool feeling, and I don't think I could ask for a better introduction to the megacon world the pop culture conventions are are going just insane i think officially they're saying a hundred plus thousand people there i i I was hearing one hundred and fifty thousand, depending on how they count the numbers there was at least a thousand deadpools there a minimum a minimum a minimum of a thousand thankfully not everyone was just boring deadpool i got like a deadpool jesus or i got vacation deadpool or bath time deadpool so i don't mind the variations but there was a thousand deadpools and i from what i've heard cons before deadpool came out were crazy with deadpools so i can imagine what after deadpool movie did to people well it's like the 501st the star wars universe but i talked to actually one deadpool cosplayer because on Saturday, day three, I started making fun of Deadpool cosplayers when they walked by. I was like, ooh, you're the trendy Deadpool cosplayer. And they didn't think it was funny. But I had one guy come up to me and he told me like the first year he got the Deadpool costume, just the generic Deadpool costume. And then every year since, he tries to make it unique, adding more gadgets, more parts, more things to go in his own realm of Deadpool and I guess that's what people are doing. Yeah, I think Deadpool is such an awesome, accessible character. And I think everyone, especially nerds, can kind of relate to that character. And I like that people found a home in him. And as much as we do make fun of seeing it, and he's such a, like an unoriginal character to do as a cosplay, people love it. And it's it's a crowd pleaser because we got to see like a, what, two-hour Deadpool conga line? Like only a Megacon is that we got that crazy-ass Deadpool conga line that lasted way too long. I also was booing every Captain America that came by because the Hail Hydra issue came out that Wednesday. We even had like an eight-year-old, maybe even younger, Captain America kid say Hail Hydra. I'm still not sure if I feel good about that or not. 
Well, as like a fan of shock art and craziness, that was one of my favorite things is to record a little kid yelling Hail Hydra and kind of enjoying it. And we we did luck out with a very big breaking news in the Captain America world right before Megacon. So we had a joke the whole way through. Your video montage came out pretty good. I saw that a couple of days ago. You you went through and asked people about what they were doing. I'll let you explain. Why am I talking about it? you explain what you did? Yeah, I uh, kind of just wanted to give you like a who are you? And I wish I could have got way more people, but MegaCon was so hectic. But yeah, I got people just describing who they were. And it was really cool to see them in character describe what they were. And yeah, I, I got a lot of cool B-roll of just all of the craziness that was MegaCon and like all the proton packs and all the lightsabers and all the random fights. Yeah, it was really cool to just grab a quick video and you guys can find it on YouTube. Just watch it and tell me if you guys like it because it was really, really cool to like just grab footage from what I feel was such an awesome event. All right, EJ, this is where I'll teach you about marketing for Monkeys Fighting Robots. You should tell them to go to Monkeys Fighting Robots and click on the MegaCon tab because it's right there on the website because you created this amazing post embedded it on there and you're like hey check out megacon at monkeysfightingrobots.com why do we want to send them to youtube go to monkeysfightingrobots.com yeah youtube does get enough promo go to monkeys fighting robots go to the megacon tab just just look at the video look at all the cosplay photos and what also is there is our carlos valdez interview which is awesome that we have that as well i couldn't believe how hard how of a, how much of a hard working individual he was I've never met him before. Super nice. And he just sat at his booth and he skipped lunches and stayed after the show was closed to sign autographs and just talk to every fan that ever wanted to see him. This is going to make me follow him, whatever he does now. Yeah, I was already a fan of him because he plays Cisco on The Flash. And that is like the epitome of that awesome pop culture nerd. And I relate to that character. So to see him in person and to see he's kind of kind of that character a little bit but way more chill he he was such a cool person i was already a fan before especially of his music but now like you said i want to follow him just because i got to see how hardworking he is and how much he loves his fans and i don't think he knows how famous he was and i think megacon was a great way of him to see like holy shit everyone is here like there's so many people there just for him you know he he i think i think it was a really good weekend for him and i'm glad we got to see him be as badass as he was the big breaking news out of Megacon was that Team Monkey beat Team Robot by about 50, 60 votes in the, what side are you on, Team Monkey, Team Robot at our Megacon booth? I was surprised by that. For a while, Team Robot was winning, and then we, you know, we did the interview with Carlos, and he even was reluctantly Team Robot. So I'm like, oh, that was a sign. I think Team Robot's going to win, and... Somehow Team Monkey came back and people started appreciating how awesome Team Monkey because we both are Team Monkey. So to see it win at Megacon, I think we I think we were both pretty happy to see. And then Megacon also announced that they're going to come here to Tampa in October. So we'll be able to see if Tampa is Team Monkey or Team Robot. And then maybe next year we explore other states and cities to see where we go in the growth of the Monkeys Fighting Robot universe. What was your best takeaway from Megacon? Just to be generic, like the whole experience really was an awesome takeaway. Uh, the interview with Carlos Valdez, like that was my first time getting to do something like that within like journalism and as a movie critic. And it, it was such a cool feeling and it was such a cool way of uh, 
getting into that world and just running the booth with with you is really fun to just be sarcastic and like get people to talk at the booth and just the whole experience was something I'm I'm never going to forget. Yeah, what about for you? What was your like biggest takeaway? I really enjoyed hanging out at the booth and just talking to fellow nerds and by talking that would be me yelling at people to come to my booth cuz people just walk by, but if you yell at them, they will come up to your booth and be like, "Oh, you talking to me?" That was a lot of fun. I got some wicked, awesome Godzilla artwork when I was there. That's going to go up on my wall. I got it. Yeah, we had the car Christine right across from us as much as it blinded us. Those people were awesome that, right, you know, that were with there with the car. And they have a whole nother show in a different area, too. So, yeah, it's crazy how some of them travel. And hopefully we can turn Monkeys Finding Robots, our booth, into like a traveling act. That sounds very like vaudeville of us, but that would be fun. It would be extremely fun traveling around to different conventions. But I don't know. I'm getting old, man. This is this was a this was a beatdown of weekends, man. It was tough. I it, it did help. I went to the ice bar by our place. It was a, a bar completely made of ice. Even the drinks, the glasses were made of ice. That was fun. I went to Jack's and had a nice steak there, and they did a sketch of me and my friend Tony. There was there was it was you. By the time you're done, you get something to eat. It's already like ten o'clock. Like there's. There's no time. Like you just need you need to slow time down when you're at a con. Yeah, I really wanted to thank uh, Domino's for delivering pizza when I got back at like midnight. I was so worried when I got to my hotel that I was going to eat anything. So shout out to them if they want to sponsor us. I will always take free Domino's and thank you guys for giving me that awesome experience delivering to me at my hotel super late. I was kind of disappointed that there wasn't a Jimmy John's in uh, anywhere around International Drive that would have brought us sandwiches because. I think Jimmy John's would have would have helped us out a little bit more. I was trying to think of what what food would have been the perfect food for conventions. And there needs to be like a window or like a special section, a gate where like Jimmy John's can come into a convention and deliver sandwiches. Well, we did learn chicken fingers, though, because there's a chicken finger booth not that far from our booth. Oh, my God. That was popular, man. And I had those Sunday. Like that was the biggest line I've ever seen for food. The food. Well, the pizza line was insane, too. But we were really close to where the food was. And the food at MegaCon was surprisingly better than I thought it was going to be. I, I The food in Chicago is kind of shitty at the con, like just at the con. And this, you know, whether you're in Schaumburg for Wizard World or C2E2, it's con food. It's pretty bad. Uh, Tampa Bay Comic Con, their food vendors are pretty horrible. I don't remember eating food at MegaCon last year, but they had nice vendors there where you got like a rice bowl, you could get some other things, there was pizza. Everybody went to the chicken finger line and it was the biggest line ever. And so Sunday morning, I was like, okay, I'm going to get chicken fingers as soon as they come out because I'm starving and I, I want something simple. And those were the grossest things I've ever had. It was just hands down disgusting, purely. And I walked back to the guy, I was like, these are the worst ever. And he kind of just like laughed and he's like, oh man, I'm sorry. But, you know, it's not like it was it was just bad. It's just bad. Don't do it. Don't go chicken fingers. Yeah, don't go chicken fingers at a con. Maybe that's the lesson that we've learned is as crazy and popular as they are. No con chicken fingers. What would you change if, if you for next year? What would, how would you prepare differently for next year? I think we were surprisingly better prepared than uh, going in. I kind of was expecting us to, like, get there and feel a little bit more lost. But no, I, I think we were due. I kind of want to dress up. Like, not too crazy because I did wear some ridiculous outfits, um, but I would love to, like, dress up in a, in a somewhat cosplay. So that was something I would change and definitely want to see more people than we saw this year. Like, just double it. EJ, next week is 
Warcraft, are you excited or are you scared? I have no idea anything about Warcraft ever, so I'm just expecting ogres and a lot of CGI. So yeah, I'm 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 timid, but we'll see if I can learn anything about the Warcraft world. So what you're telling me is this weekend you're going to do tons of research on the Warcraft movie and the game, and you're going to go in on Tuesday to the press screening, just all prepared. I mean, I don't really know anything about Warcraft either. I you just, know what? I'm going to see if there's a free trial to World of Warcraft. I'm going to even give them a whole like look into. EJ, you have a fun weekend. Thank you so much. You have a fun weekend, and I'm glad we rested up after Megacon. Hey, Matt, we survived another episode. Oh, no! Once again, there are several ways to continue the conversation after the show. Follow us on Twitter at monkeys underscore robots. You can look at all our silly photos on Instagram at monkeys fighting robots. You can follow me on Twitter at Matthew Sardo. My co-host EJ is also on Twitter at EJ Christ with a K. The biggest compliment we receive is when the subscriber number goes up on SoundCloud. If you have a chance, we would greatly appreciate a review of our show on iTunes. All you Android users out there, listen to the show on Stitcher. Additionally, there's this great app called TuneIn. Listen to every radio station in the world, plus the Monkeys Fighting Robots podcast. Okay, Lunchbox, let's try this again. There are so many people that made the 77th episode of Monkeys Fighting Robots a success. Special shout out to my co-host EJ Marino for putting up with me. Somehow he survived Megacon, hanging out with me for four days. Jeff Shade is the creator of our amazing intros and outros. Jessica Wynn designed the Monkeys Fighting Robots logo. Are you a monkey or are you a robot? We've established Orlando is a monkey. The staff of Visual Realm built our website and keeps us up and running. To all my friends, family, and the interweb, thank you very much for joining us for this episode of Monkeys Fighting Robots. Up to 70% off. That's right, at Court Furniture Clearance Center. Get up to 70% off new retail prices and choose from a wide variety of previously leased furniture and decor for your home or office. Sofas from $199.99, bedroom sets from $399.99, dining sets from $299.99, and more. All items are court certified, guaranteed, and in stock, ready for delivery or to take home today. Make the smart choice and visit one of our five locations in the DMV or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. Mention Radio 20 and get 20% off.